If you'll uh, turn in your Bibles this morning, we're in, so we're, we're working our way through the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, in Galatians 5, but to understand that word joy, we're going to have to bounce around a few different places. So you might want to turn to John 17. That, that's where we're going to kind of camp out this morning. You know, a lot of times in the morning, I'll have a double shot of espresso, and uh, if I don't eat breakfast, it's, it's not good on the old breath. And I always know it's bad because these first four or five rows are just empty. But this morning when I look around, I know it must be really bad because it spreads way over here and only Caleb's there. He feels like he has to be there. So I'm asking you, if I buy some breath mints, will you come back to the first couple of rows? Here's some uh, background. What's going on in Galatians, just to clue you in. Paul is, is writing right to this big Roman region we call Galatia. It's a region of churches, and they're very much under spiritual attack from Jewish Christians who were promoting uh, keeping the Old Testament laws and faith saves. So they, they said, no, Paul's not an apostle, and he's just giving you half-truths because he wants to create a following. The full truth is that faith in Jesus plus essentially becoming a Jew is what saves you. And Paul says, no, that's another gospel. And if you add anything to the gospel, you, you lose it. You're not a Christian. And we receive it all by grace through faith alone. Then in chapter 4, he, he changes his direction, and he starts exhorting them, respond. Respond now to what God's done for you. So in Galatians 5.16, he says this, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the flesh. So it is the Spirit that you overcome sin with. Okay, question. Well, how do I know then if I'm walking in the Spirit, Paul, or walking in the flesh? Well, he gives us that list of 15 that we talked about last week. 15 fruits of walking in the, the flesh. And he says, if this is what's coming out of your heart and your life and there's no repentance, then you're not, don't fool yourself, you're not in the kingdom of God. And then he gives these nine wonderful fruits of the Holy Spirit. And of course, we're going to spend nine weeks talking about those. And the first, like we talked about last week, was love. That the, the first fruit, the work of the Spirit is love towards God that wasn't there before and a new love towards his people. Now today is joy, which means, brothers and sisters, life in the Spirit is a life of joy. That God has called you, please catch that, God has called you to joy. And if your Christianity has no joy, then there's actually disobedience in your Christianity. Because it's actually a command. He wants you to have joy in him. And so I want to ask you, is joy part of your walk with Christ? And I don't mean walking around, clicking your heels, saying, man, it's an awesome day, isn't it? No, I, we'll talk about what I mean by joy shortly. But there is an inner joy of the Spirit that's not moved by your circumstances. So let me just read. I'm going to read two verses. Psalm 1611 first. 
just one verse. It's a great verse on joy. And then we'll look at John 17. It says this. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now flip with me to John 17, verse 13 to 15. And this is Jesus' prayer before he goes to the cross. And he prays that the church would be unified, glorified, and satisfied. That's joy. Verse 13. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Great. Let's pray for our time. Oh, Father, I just, I worship you, we worship you, that your salvation is not just you're saved, now go about your life, but Father, you put the Spirit in us, the mark that we are yours, and in your presence is fullness of joy, and now your presence is in your people, and so we should experience joy, Lord. And I I pray that you would help us understand the difference between joy and just happiness, Father, and that every believer in this room over the next weeks, months, years would experience a deeper and richer and fuller the joy that Jesus asked that we have, joy in our relationship with you, which is a work of the Spirit. Give me grace to teach. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you become a Christian, you're born again, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you received the Spirit, didn't you? He came into your life, every believer. So now the heart of every believer is there's a spring, there's a fountain of joy in you, in your life. Now... As a Christian, Jesus therefore stands before you, you might say, in a twofold way. He, he's in one sense, he is your Lord, he's your Savior to be obeyed and followed. But in another sense, he is your portion to be enjoyed, to satisfy the deepest cravings of your heart in this life. And the problem is, often Christians, we miss that second part. And we go around the world looking for something to satisfy us when God's actually given us our portion in Christ. Years ago, there was a Scotchman who arrived in Liverpool, and he was going to go on a journey to America. And he was a very poor guy, a big boat, and so he, he... Scraped together all the money he had. He bought a ticket, and he just had a few shillings left, and he got on the boat. And before he did, he thought, you know, I probably need a bit of food. (laughs) So he goes to the store, and he buys a bit of cheese and a few crackers for his trip to America. And there in his room, he eats cheese and crackers every day. 
eats cheese and crackers, eats cheese and crackers, and you can imagine what the salt air does to cheese and crackers, right? The cheese gets hard, the crackers get soft, it's not so good anymore. Finally, he just couldn't take it anymore, and he said, look, I'm just going to have one meal. So he goes downstairs, and he goes to the, the restaurant, and he has his shillings in his pocket, and he says, how much for one meal? And the steward says, do you have a ticket? He said, yeah, I've got a ticket. And he said, well, it's included in the price of the ticket. <laughs> Come and eat. <laughs> it's all been purchased for you. That's the picture of the lives of many Christians, isn't it? We see Christ often as just the Savior to be obeyed. But often we don't understand that in the gospel and through our faith, he is also your portion. He is the buffet set before you to satisfy you and your relational desires, to be enjoyed. And so I want to ask you again, is that how you see Jesus? How's your joy in Christ? Have you lost it? And you say, yeah, you know, when I became a Christian several years ago, man, I experienced so much joy, but not so much now. And if you lost it, it's a great loss. It's no small loss. Why? Because without it, obedience, following Christ, becomes heavy. It just becomes dead duty rather than a real delight. So what we see in Galatians 5 is the fruit of the Spirit. The second one is joy. So your heart has received a spring, a fountain of joy. It's part of the portion that's been given to you in the gospel. And now we are called to a life of joy in Christ. And it's so important because before Christ died, he could pray for anything for you. He prayed for you to have his joy. Now, let that sink in. He prayed. He knew how important joy was to the Christian life. And he prayed, Father, give them my joy. So here's the main idea today. To live in the Spirit is a calling to joy. He says, walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit. That's a calling to joy. Two things we want to see here. First is, we're going to look at Jesus' joy comes through fellowship. And then we're going to see on the flip side of that, your joy comes through fellowship. So here's point one. John 17, 13. If you look in your Bibles with me. Jesus' joy comes through fellowship. Okay. John 17, 13. That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Stop there that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Okay? What is the joy of Jesus that he wants you to have? Right? He prays, Father, I want them to have my joy. So the question you need to be asking is, what is his joy? Right? Track him with me? So we're going to bounce around. Usually we don't do that, but we're going to bounce around because we're just looking at one word. Well, here's where it is. John 1.18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Before Christ became a man, before the Son took on flesh, he was at the Father's side. And there was a oneness there, the deepest union between these two persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons. You say, well, what did that look like? 
Now Psalm 1611. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So God is the fountain. He's the ocean. He's the center of all joys and delights. So that to be in the presence of God is to know full, complete joy. This was Jesus for all eternity. There was nothing lacking in his joy. His joy was full at the right hand of the Father. I always like to say they had a Trinitarian party going on in heaven. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit enjoying each other. And then Jesus left home. Matthew 8, 20. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus went from the greatest comfort and delight in his relationship with the Father to being homeless. He became a man of sorrows, carrying the sorrow of God's people in our sin. For all eternity, the Father had embraced the Son with the greatest joy. The Father had never hidden or withdrawn from the Son until he stood in your place on the cross. Substitution, like we're talking about today. Then he wounded him. Much worse, he abandoned him. So Jesus Christ cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Something he had never experienced. I want to read you the words of the greatest country music song of all time by the greatest country music singer of all time. Of course, that's George Jones. And this is what he said. He said, I'll love you till I die. She told him, you'll forget in time. As the years went slowly by, I so want to sing this, but you don't want me to do that. I'm just going to, it's safer for you if I just read it. As the years went slowly by, she still preyed upon his mind. He kept her picture on his wall. He went half crazy now and then. He still loved her through it all, hoping she'd come back again. Roll back the tears, folks. Borrow you a napkin if you need to. He kept some letters by his bed dated 1962. He had underlined in red every single, I love you. He stopped loving her today. They placed a wreath upon his door, and soon they'll carry him away. He stopped loving her today. Now what George Jones is saying is, this man, I'm going to presume it's his wife, he loved her, even though that she had left him earlier in life, he could never get over it, right? He reread her letters, he, he kept her picture there by his bed, always hoping that she would come back. He never stopped loving her until he died. They were that connected. He was that connected to her, only being with her a short time. And that song is so popular because it resonates with us in our heart and the relationships we have. And I want to ask you, how much closer was the fellowship and love of God to his son that they were together not for just a matter of years, but for all eternity. And he freely parted with his son. 
Friends, how much does the Father love you? Really love you? And the answer is, enough to give his delight, the darling of his soul, his greatest joy, to stand in your place on the cross. Enough to withdraw his presence, which had never been done from Jesus on the cross. Enough that he would turn his hand, which had always been a hand of joy and love from his son, to become a hand of judgment that would crush him. Now, one of his many purposes was to enable, yes, to save you, but to enable you to know real joy. And that's the reason that he prays for you just before the cross. Father, let them have joy. Yes, salvation, but in that salvation, the joy that I know comes from relationship with you. Here's point two. Point one, the son's joy comes from fellowship with the father. Point two, your joy comes from fellowship with the father. Verse 13, that my joy may be fulfilled in themselves. I want you to know something. Three times in the upper room before he goes to the cross, he says the same thing, right? John 15 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's the second time. John 16, 24. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Catch that. The night before the cross, he prays for you and he prays for his disciples to have full joy. His joy. So where's that joy from? Well, let me read you 1 John 1, 3, and 4. It says this. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that your joy may be complete. John is writing and he's testifying I, too, want you to have full joy. And he tells them where? The same place that Jesus says, fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. My friends, it is the Spirit that enables this fellowship with Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1.16, you receive the joy of the Spirit. By the Spirit entering you, God is saying, I want you to enter into my fellowship and my joy. When you receive the gospel message by faith, God does the remarkable. He communicates himself to you in his spirit. And the spirit makes impressions. It penetrates. It operates effectively transforming our lives, giving us joy. Last thing, here's what Jesus means by praying for you to have full joy. By the Spirit in us, you enter into the same fellowship with God the Father that He has. Maybe not the same degree, but the same access. And now our souls have new feeling. They have new life. 
you can experience the sweetest delights of fellowship through worship, through music, through prayer, meditating on God's Word, and you can experience the quickest senses of pain when you run away from Him towards sin, when you quench the Spirit, when we walk in the flesh. You know, several years ago when we were uh, overseas living and we had a bit of furlough time, and someone gave us some tickets to the Iron Bowl. Now, I don't care if you're a Troy State or Auburn, Alabama fan, but it was an amazing game, and it was the only football game I've seen in the last 10 years. It was the kick six game, right? And it was incredible. People were crying around us, and at the end of the game, I'd never seen anything quite like this, and my kids hadn't either, and there was so much emotion. It was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. 90,000 fans going crazy, high-fiving, storming the field, everybody dancing, some people crying. And the whole way out of the stadium, everybody was besties, hugging. Didn't matter if they knew each other, if they were Auburn fans, of course. Strangers were hugging, smiling. It went on for hours after the game. For the next year, thousands of fans would either remember that game and experience joy or remember that game and experience pain, which if you're an Auburn fan, you've had a lot of that. Now, here's my point. Nothing can be enjoyed by you if you don't partake of it. Your senses must experience it to enjoy it. Either you smell it, you hold it, you look at it, you think about it. And generally, the longer you are willing to partake of something, the more you can enjoy it on one hand or feel the pain of it on the other. So it is with God. You must partake of God. He has communicated himself to us, and you must experience him to have joy. A Christian's heart is no longer dead it is either experiencing sweet joy and fellowship with God or pain and rebellion and sin. And this joy and pain is communicated in the heart through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. How do we think and live this? Well, last thought. When I was a kid, I'd go to the lake, and my favorite thing to do was just, just when there was a big storm coming in, and maybe you can relate to this, Clouds were coming in, lots of rain, and it's cold, and it's raining on your head. But you could go under the water, and it didn't matter what was going on. Here, you had the same experience. That's how joy is. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what's going on here, joy is something in our heart that doesn't change based upon our circumstances. We can have it and not lose it. It's not happiness in the midst of the strongest storms. Okay, Rusty, well, how do, I, how do I have that and how do I grow in that? How do I fight for more of that? Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about this. 
Fighting for joy starts with what you are thinking about. What you put in your mind transforms you. So if your mind is all day thinking about sensual things, you're going to become sensual in nature. If you are always thinking about money and possessions, you will become consumed with that. But if you are intentionally thinking about the truths of God, His loveliness, His justice, His excellency, then you will experience more joy in your life. Here's two ways I do that. In the morning, I wake up every morning, my heart's hard as a rock. And I get up and I put on music when I'm in the shower, Christian music. Now, for some of you, maybe you listen to God's Original Gangsters, GOG, or Skillet, or something like that. I'm a little more tame. I, I like Fernando Ortega in the morning. And I, I sing a little bit, not so loud that anybody can hear, but I sing a little bit, and it begins to restore joy in my heart. Second thing I do is I meditate on God's Word, and I would encourage you to do this in some way. So I just have a little verse I carry around with me. I try to change it, and if I'm at a car line or if I've got some time, I just read it. I just meditate on it. And what I'm doing is I'm filling my mind with the truth of God, which brings me in joy with fellowship. Third and last thing, remember the gospel. That is where your greatest joy will come from. Remember the truths and let them ever be present in your mind that Christ is your substitute, that you are joined to him, that all of his goodness is given to you, and all of your sin has been taken on the cross by him and dissolved. Set your mind on those things to fight for joy, which Christ has prayed for you to have. Father, I, I praise you. There's a difference between joy and happiness. Father, and I thank you we don't have to be just always happy, clappy, to be joyful. I thank you that there is an inner joy of the Holy Spirit that Jesus says, I want every disciple to have. I pray for every believer in this room that that prayer would be answered, that they would begin to fill their minds with the truths of who you are, like you tell us to do. And as that happens, they would experience greater joy in their fellowship and relationship with you. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together again if you can. And, uh...